Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host for this show, per usual at this point. Uh, should be a relatively straightforward episode this afternoon. Well, whenever you happen to be listening to it, we're recording it uh, the evening of Sunday, July 7th, 2019. First up will be a review of UFC 239 from yesterday. Uh, very nearly the best main card in recent memory. Nearly, not quite. Uh, so we'll go over all of that. Some really interesting stuff. Some interesting outcomes and some possibilities going forward for a lot of different people. Uh, some not so much. Then we'll have a preview for next week's UFC on ESPN Plus card. That's the UFC back in Sacramento. And that card is a lot of meh on paper. A lot of meh. Then, of course, a little bit of news. Uh, to the surprise of some, John Lineker got released. The UFC did some schedule filling, which I think I'd mentioned that they were probably going to wait for International Fight Week to announce a lot of that stuff because there's the most eyes on the product. So be on the lookout for so we'll talk a little bit about some of that, and that should be about it. All right, here with me as usual, my partner in crime. He's in most of the zones at 411 Mania. Jeff Harris is back. Jeff, how are you doing this evening? My name is Ben Askren, and I ate a knee for dinner. <laughs> he really did. See, that joke you like for some reason, but you'll no sell all my other jokes. But whatever. It's cool. Eh, my sense of humor is mercurial. Okay. You, you've got me a couple of times. Uh, okay, fair enough. All right, first up, let's go ahead and jump into UFC 239 from last night. We're going to be starting off with probably the least interesting fight in this instance, the main event. John Jones defeated Tiago Santos via split decision. 248-47s for John, 148-47 for Santos. I was, I think, officially 49-46 for Jones. 48-47 for John is probably the more accurate scorecard, all things considered. And really, given how the rounds played out, I can't yell at anybody about a 48-47 for Santos. I mean, it's... I it's think just, it's pretty stupid. Eh, again, it's just... I don't agree with it, but... I can't really point to Santos, three rounds. Santos had his moments in that fight, but they were few and far between. He was clearly hurt by Jones. Even the moments where it looked like he was good, like like he was doing good, was like a slip by Jones, and to me, not really like a legit knockout. I mean, again, there's a reason I scored it the way I did. Not to mention, Chael Sonnen scored it for Tiago Santos. I know. Do you and really do you really want to the people who scored it for Santos, do you really want to be in the same company as Kale Sonnen? Those of us that scored it for John are in the same company as Dana White. So I I'd rather be in that company than Kale Sonnen. Yeah, never. Well, that I mean I don't like either I don't like either of them. Puts but... you puts you in that column too, Robert. Look, I I wind up occasionally Dana and I wind up on the same look, side of things. It and happens. Look, quite frankly, you took way too much um, nonsense about this decision. It was clearly Jones's fight. I'm sorry. I, I don't think it was that clear. Again, it was, I, was it an awkward and underwhelming fight? Yes. 
was Jones' performance sort of a little weird and questionable at points? Yes. But he won the fight. He did. Clearly. Yeah. Again, if we're just given the round by round scoring, I can't get on board with, you know, how clear a lot of people are making it. I Again, I disagree with giving it to Santos, but if you want to say Santos won rounds like 1, 3 and 5, I mean, I'm not really going to argue rounds 1 or 5. Round 1 was sort of Ah, John did very very little round 1. That was round 1 was like rounds 1 and 4 are the most definitive. Round one pretty solidly goes to Santos. Round four very solidly goes to John. I find it hard to even give him two rounds. I mean, again, the fifth John took off. Just, like, almost straight up took off. Yeah. So, it's just... And if I really wanted to get into the nuances of it and whatnot, I'd have to rewatch the fight and really, really pay attention. And I just don't think there's all that much interesting that took place here. Dana White, though, was... Not almost uncharacteristically calm about last night's main event. Now, probably granted because <coughs> we had already seen the fastest UFC knockout ever on this card, and all the other main card fights were fairly entertaining, or had or or had entertaining finishes. Yeah, if you if you put that same main event on a dull card, I think Dana buries everyone, but the rest of this card was the rest of the main card delivered in such a way that, all right, fine. This, you know, but it's, it's so rare. You get all of them. That are great. Close to one of John Jones's best career performances. This might be his worst. This might genuinely be John's worst performance of the last five years. I, I can't think of a worse one from him. I don't know if I would call it his worst just yet, because I, I don't know if it's quite as bad as even the fight with Anthony Smith or Ovin St. Pro. I mean, those are the ones that spring to mind, but I looked at the numbers for that last night, kind of in the wake of this. Right. And John, if we take the OSP fight just as a, by way of comparison, okay. John attempted twice as many strikes over the course of the fight as he did in this one, okay. landed... I think four of seven takedowns and was just genuinely while the fight, while that fight's not a great fight, John was a lot more emphatic to the degree that he was about winning that fight as opposed to this one. It's not, it's not just about the, um, it's not just about the, the numbers to me. It's just about the fight as a whole. And I don't know. I just think, the Ovin St. Pru fight was just more of a bore. Just well, more... OSP had nothing approaching even the moments that Santos did yeah. on occasion. But I, so, I, mean, I mean... So so sure, the OSP fight was less engaging in a lot here, of respects. Here's but... my thing. I feel like OSP gave Jones nothing and, and Jones gave, you know, and because he, he gave him nothing, Jones didn't really bring, bring anything at all. So that was sort of my feeling there. This one, it just sort of reminds me of those periods where George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva and their dominant title reigns were having those those sort of stretches of really uninspiring performances, which I think you and a lot of people can't deny they did have at some points. That happened. I mean, also of note... And, and look, and look, 
not to knock George St. Pierre, but he even admitted at one point he was getting burnt out on success. Yeah. And he was sort of not tired of success, but like, I think in one interview I recall, he even said he was, you know, he, you know, he, he, he almost wanted to see other guys win and beat him and get success over him. It's, you know, it's kind of a weird thing, but I kind of understand it. But yeah, he, he was definitely getting burnt out. Uh, dude, it's a grind, man. MMA is a brutal sport, not just in the cage, but you know, all the prep, the constant, and especially when you fight at the when you're a when you're placed in a prominent position within the UFC. And there's all the other media obligations, and there's all the other talking right. points, and uh, it it is it's an absolute grind. But, and George, now, here's what confused me about this fight. I understand Jones was very cautious with the stand-up because Santos was dangerous, and he did show that at points in the fight. And Jones was very even more cautious toward the end where he kind of went on cruise control. But I just don't get, like, why, why didn't he even really try to take the fight to the ground when he really had a fighter with a bad wheel? He had an opponent who only had one good leg. And he was injured for over half the fight. I mean, yeah, towards the end, he had half a good leg. Like, his left knee was just... He blew out his left knee doing uh, something, and then Jones kept kicking the other one. There were points, again, like in the fourth and fifth, when both of Tiago Santos' legs are clearly giving him trouble. Now, I mean, look, was this as bad as, like, that Jamie uh, Varner fight where he he was, like, bouncing on one foot? No, no, not at all. This wasn't as bad as that. And, And credit to Tiago Santos for continuing the fight. And, you know, he, he kept trying to fight and kept trying to engage Jones and kept trying to win. I think Santos deserves credit for that. However, I guess I'm just disappointed with Jones really trying to do anything when he had an opponent who could barely stand. And Jones is this amazing wrestler. He's not fighting another wrestler or a guy who's... Santos isn't really known to be like this wizard on the ground. Why not even try to, why not just try to take him down? I bet he could have finished him there. Or if not finished him, done a lot of damage. Jones is very good on top. His top he's, he's, the be- he's one of the best in the world from top position. His ground and pound is horrific. So that I just don't understand. If I had to, I mean, all I can do is speculate in some instance, in some instances, baseless, baselessly. So be aware of that. But Santos did a pretty decent number on Jones's left leg with kicks and Jones might not have felt comfortable getting the drive necessary to really execute a takedown off of that leg. Santos had some decent kicks of his own. But, I mean, isn't that even more of an incentive to take the fight to the ground? To not it, have to deal with that? It can be. I mean, Jones checked a few of them. Santos stopped throwing them for periods of time. It's, again, the kind of the ebb and flow of the fight. I'm with you. I was a little surprised he didn't even attempt one at any point. That was very surprising to me. I, I feel like he might have tried, tried to take down once, or it could be. 
Mistake. He might have he might have like had a trip or he thought about following Santos down when he either tripped up or slipped a couple of times, but right. he never really committed to any kind of either double leg, single leg, uh, trip from the clinch, ladder, anything. It was really surprising to I me know. that he. I, I still wouldn't call it his worst performance, but it was definitely an just an awkward, underwhelming performance, and. Jones looked a little beatable last night, too. In some respects, yeah. I mean, and I've been trying to kind of, you know, get my head around this in some respects. But, you know, John is 31. Yeah. He's got 20, what, seven fights? At this point, probably. Let's see. And 20 of those, I believe, are in... I believe 20 of those are in the UFC. Right. And you know, that all that all does take a toll, not to mention, you know, some of the partying he's done. Training, you know, all that time. And, yep. And this is the busiest John has been in quite some time. This was his well, third. Hang on. This was his third fight in seven months. Right. And, you know, some guys really thrive on that hot, on that fast turnaround. Right. I don't think John is one of them. Um, we'll see. Um, I, I don't think he should be a once a year kind of fighter, but three in seven months is a heck of a stretch for anyone. Well, to me, he didn't look worn down last night. It just looked the game, either the game planning, the strategy. It didn't. It didn't look like a matter. He didn't look old and slow last night. Is my point. Um, no, it, not in the not in the traditional sense, well, but look, know, he, you know, he just kind of looked like maybe a bit of the grind was. I don't want to say it's that, but I don't know. It just seemed. It seemed like a weird. It, it was a weird, awkward performance. I mean, we still saw you know some of the elbows, some of the trademark dynamic stuff he's known to do. It just felt he was making a lot of weird, questionable choices. Kind of like Rockhold, except Rockhold paid for it big time. And I just felt like a more dangerous opponent. If if Jones was in there with a more dangerous opponent last night, I feel like he, he could have paid for it as well. Santos, I think, is good, but I think he's a level below guys like Jones. In some ways, yeah. I mean, there's – in some respects, it's a shame that he injured his knee the way he did because – and I'm not saying he would have won if he had two good legs necessarily. Look, it's rare – But it pretty clear – but it I very clearly the, changed the entire dynamic of the fight. He clearly won at least around on Jones, right? Uh, according it's, to pretty much everyone, too. Okay. So – It's hard just to win – it's hard just to win a round on John Jones, Robert. Just to win a round on that guy. Yep. So, for him I mean, to do that, that like to me, that says he's a pretty high. Le- he's a high level fighter. I mean, this fight. was the first time any judge in the history of you know, John Jones's career scored a fight you know, for the other guy. I don't want to hang my head on that because it's MMA judging, you know. Sure, but. This was also a fight where, you know, 48-47 Santos didn't get my backup kind of thing. Like, I could see it. Okay. Yeah. 
But all things considered, considering that Jones has never truly lost a fight, he did pretty impressive. Yeah, Santos definitely overperformed, especially relative to my expectations for him. He was a lot more controlled, a lot more technical. He did, he he did better against John Jones than pretty much, I think, any other opponent other than maybe Daniel Cormier in the first round of their second fight. Yeah, the only guys who did better, who you know, he who that uh, in terms of just you know success against John, the only ones this performance is comparable to are the first Gustafson fight and right. Cor- and Cormier, and I mean that's it. No one else has come close. Yeah, the Gus right the first fight with Gustafson. Um, so I think Santos has. I'm not saying it's a moral victory, but I you know people. I don't think a lot of people were picking him to win this either, but if nothing else, he opened some eyes to his ability to be more than just kind of a wild bruiser of a fighter. And I think Jones showed a lot of holes here. Like Jones has, I think always had, I think fairly good stand up and defense, but I felt like if a guy could deal with his wrestling and takedowns, I feel like stand up, would be a place where you can possibly overwhelm and take John Jones. Uh, I, sort of. Again, there's a few tendencies that John has, but and you didn't really see he them. He head open a lot. He does. Well, he can because of his range. Right. I mean, and look, I would. John's not one of those people who I'd necessarily teach someone to fight like. But if you're six four with eighty four and a half inches of reach, right? You know what? Use it if you got it, kind of thing. Yeah, but Dell had his head open a lot. And yeah, got and, hit, and he got hit a couple of times. A lot of those punches. Uh, this is one of the things that, and I again, if I want to get really into this, I'm gonna have to rewatch the fight. A lot of those punches from Santos did not land nearly as clean as some of the sound and reaction would lead you to believe. All right. Because of John's defense. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I mean, again, and it's fine. That happen- That happens all the time, even in, you know, boxing, when all you're doing is, is theoretically just watching people's hands for how they're blocking and parrying and, you know, stuff like that. So, okay. What do you, uh, what do, you do next for John Jones? Oh. Being what it is, that's tough. I, and look, people are already talking about the trilogy fight with Cormier. Cormier's talking about it. He's not saying no, even though Cormier was supposed to retire a few months ago when he turned forty. He's fighting Stipe, and he's not saying definitively no to a third fight with Jones. As bad as that probably would go for him. Yeah, kind of depending on... I think at light heavyweight, it definitely goes badly for him. At heavyweight, there's there's a few more avenues that Cormier might have at heavyweight. And it's not, not like... Reyes. You, you've got Reyes, you've got Blahovich, uh, you've got a couple of other up-and-comers like Rakic and Walker. Okay. I don't Has know. Even earned a shot here. I mean, it's light heavyweight. 
And in fairness to Blahovich, I mean, we'll get to the fight in particular in a little bit, but you know, he violently knocks out Rockhold. He's Corey Anderson. Eh, I don't think so. I mean, when was Anderson's last fight? Uh, let's see. He beat Euler Latifi last December. So that's been a while. Uh, if he were more in play, maybe. Gustafsson is still ranked for some reason. Uh, He's because, still the, ranked number because, the pe- because the people doing the rankings are stupid. Um, I mean, does Reyes really even have enough of a name? I mean, let's see. He's won three. He's won five fights undefeated, 11-0. But... His top wins are against Ovin St. Prue, Vulcan Ozdemir, and Jared Cannonier. To me, that's not really enough to distinguish yourself to get a title shot. No, I agree. I, I don't think Reyes or Rakic or even Walker should really be the next guy for John. I, I might just go with Blahovich, in all honesty. I mean, he's got, he's what, six and one in his last seven? Or something like that. And that one was to Santos. My thing about Blahovich is he only won one. He 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 lost the fight and then he just won. And John Johnny Walker, I think booking him in a title fight with Jones now would be worse than booking Darren Till in a title fight with Tyron Woodley when they did. Yeah, there's um, just, there's just not a lot of options. I mean, I'd rather John, you know, kind of took. You know, it took a few months off again. He's been three fights in seven months again. Yeah, that's I'd a, be, that's I'd a be pretty good thing. Gave him some time off. but And, and let the division kind of sort itself out a little bit. They have a few other guys who have fights so coming cards. up. So many cards to push. I don't know yeah. how last night did in terms of pay-per-view, but the gate the gate was outstanding. The um, So they probably did well. Uh, the number they gave out was $6.06 million for the gate. That's a pretty good gate. for That's a really good gate. Um, so by all metrics, they did, they did good business last night. And Jones is generally good for business. So He's a solid draw. He is a solid draw. So I'd be fine if they want him to sit out until like the end of the year, personally. Or maybe even a little longer. Uh, just to give him some time off, because you're right, he has been quite active in the last uh, in the last year, because he, you know, he did take a lot of time off before. Uh, so I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, so maybe give the division a little time to readjust and figure out who's going to be the next contender. And I don't know. Because I, I mean, again, if you're going on pure. I think Blahovich probably has the best case. I mean, again, only only coming off of one win, I know, but it was high profile. I would like to see. Blahovich. And he's had a good run overall, just because again, the only loss he's had in his last, I think, seven or eight fights is to Tiago Santos. I'm fine if you want to move Blahovich up to the top five because because Gustafsson. Yeah, Gustafsson shouldn't um, be ranked. I feel like he needs like a you know maybe have him fight Reyes, have him fight Smith. And then see what, oh, oh my God, Cormier is ranked number one. At, oh my, 
Look, they're kind of desperate for names to fill out the rankings at light heavyweight, I guess. Yeah, it, look. Maybe Blahovich could even arguably be number four right now. Arguably. Um, do you want Jones's next fight to be at heavyweight for the heavyweight title? Uh, so, no. I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit soured on the proposition. Okay. And it's not that I don't think he could win, because, you know, you Jones clearly can. Do I think he could beat Francis? Yes. Yeah, probably. Jones is good at making you work. He's good at managing distance. He's good at picking at you with leg kicks and making you miss. I don't like Francis against wrestlers. Assuming Jones decides to wrestle, I mean... I mean, I feel like that would be the perfect way to deal with for Jones to deal with Francis. You know, you spend you spend around being cautious about managing distance and avoiding punches. You kick him in the leg a few times. You make him work. You make him miss. You make him swing. You make him tired. I just think I just think trying to box Francis would be monumentally stupid. For prolonged periods of time, yes, but also if all you do is go in and shoot on him, we've seen how disastrously that goes. Yeah, you know what I mean. I Jones do. has Jones is good with transitions. He's always been good with transitions. Yeah. And especially I mean, he'd also probably get clinched Francis Francis a lot to you know wear his arms out and go for that shoulder wrench he likes to and kind of screw you up. Stepe did that too. Yeah. And Jones is just such a studious fighter that I don't think he'd make the same kind of boneheaded decisions that a lot of guys have against Francis that led to the real problems. What about Jones versus Stipe at heavyweight? That that's a tough be, one. That could be a realistic prospect. That's a, that's a really good fight on paper. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, if Jones chooses to do that, I'm okay with it. If he'd rather stick around at light heavyweight and keep going for, you know, what he's doing there. Okay. It, I don't, I don't know. For some reason, over the last little bit, I've just kind of... Maybe I'm just sick of, you know, the double champions that have been going around. I'm Maybe yeah. I... Some of it also might be, I think John's a little bit onto something when he talks a bit about how some of his advantages don't necessarily translate to him at heavyweight. I agree. I think he's got something there, so I don't know. I mean, if he if he goes his whole career and never fights at heavyweight, I'd be a little surprised. But I don't think I I don't think anything will be of, of value necessarily will be of, will be lost. But the thing. But now, but now, the pe- the the fight people are mainly interested in for him is the is the third fight with Cormier. Yeah, we'll have to see how Cormier and Stipe plays out. But that the road does seem pretty clear for that to be the next fight for all parties. It would be a, I mean, it would be a big fight. It would be a big fight. It would get a lot of interest because it always does. And if it, and even the, even though Cormier quote unquote lost both of those fights, if it would be it, if it were to happen at heavyweight, it would get a little more interest. I think on Cormier's end. Yeah, probably, I d- I don't think it would try, probably tighten the betting lines. If, if that fight takes place at heavyweight, it absolutely will. Okay. But there we go. Anthony Johnson. Jones. 
John Jones wins. Sorry, a- a- Anthony uh, Anthony Johnson uh, just got submitted in like 50 seconds by Craig Smith by Craig Jones. Uh, don't don't screw with Craig Jones, man. Um, all right, uh, if there's nothing else on the main event, uh, let's move on to the co-main. Uh, Amanda Nunes. TKO's Holly Holm with a head kick and punches. Four minutes, ten seconds in the first round. Amanda Nunes is a bad, bad woman. Um, I, uh, I so don't... I got really angry when I said that Holly Holm is the biggest one-hit wonder in MMA history last night. Eh. And maybe I, and maybe I deserved it, but tell me something, Robert. UFC record five and five. UFC title record one and four. Is that really all that impressive? No, not really. Like, why should I be falling over to laud her MMA career when it's... And look, granted, those fights were against the likes of Amanda Nunes, Cyborg, etc. But look at her wins. Megan Anderson and Bet Kohea. Those are her last two wins. Yeah, she really does need to be looking for the door, I think. And I'm not really one to call for retirements necessarily. She had an easy all of her title fights she was she she was basically given. Yeah, she's the, look, she's the female Uriah Faber in that respect. Okay. MMA record 12 and 5. Why am I wrong? Tell me why I'm wrong. Um why am I unfair? Why am I wrong? I don't think you're being unfair necessarily. Okay. I think if we want to talk about again, I'm not talking about her boxing career. I'm strictly. No, no, I know. Limited strictly to MMA. She was given a quick path to the title. She was. And granted, she fought tough opponents. But she lost her first title defense to a woman Ronda Rousey submitted twice. And uh, a woman who went on to do nothing after the fact. Right. I mean, I'd argue Misha, I'd actually argue, you could make a case for Misha if she didn't have a decent run in strike force, but she did, so that removes her from the discussion. I mean, what has Duran Durandame done since that fight? Okay, you could argue maybe she should have won that fight. An argument I would make, but... Right. But, I mean, on paper, she lost. I mean, technically, if you wanted to say one-hit wonders in UFC, in, in specifically relative to MMA success, you, I might go Jermaine, actually. Because she barely won a title and then got into a promotional hissy fit and was stripped of it and did nothing afterwards. I'm just saying, for her... But, but, but Holly lost four UFC title fights out of five. Yep. I mean, that's not good. No, it is not. Where she was constantly given, not, let's see. She was constantly, she was multiple times given back-to-back title fights. Not, okay, not quite back-to-back, but fairly close. Uh, Again, she had, you know, they did kind of with her what they kind of did with Faber, which was, oh, you lost, but we really like you, so win one and we'll put you back in there. Right. I mean, which I didn't, again, I didn't like when they did it with Faber. I didn't especially care for that type of matchmaking here. 
look, what she did, and, and look, to me, it just it's just proof that this isn't necessarily a sport of your actual skill level. It's a sport of matchups, right? Well, some of it's matchups, some of it's just how you do on the night. Okay. I, and I do want to talk about that relative to the next fight on this card a little bit when we get to it. Okay. Because there's a lot of ex- extremely skillful fighters who just... And look, she got, but you know, she got in there at the right time and made the most of it. Good on her. But I mean, I mean, what kind of legacy is that to just be the woman who who un, who toppled Ronda Rousey and then you lose all your subsequent title fights after that? It's not to me. That's not that prestigious of a career. No, I mean, again, she's had a slightly better one than Matt Sarah, who's. Only claim to fame after beating George was losing, 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 beating Frank Trigg. To, to, to the people who think I'm being a jerk, people said far worse about Ronda Rousey when she lost. They did. And I wasn't, I was, I wasn't necessarily, a lot of it was and, unwarranted. And they work in far higher positions than I do. So just yeah, there, was, yeah, there was a lot of backlash against Ronda that was eh, mostly some unwarranted. Of, and look, some of it was warranted because some, some of it. Yeah, Ronda's not a terribly likable person. But then, like, like there was this one writer who was like, UFC was drinking Ronda's Kool Aid. She was never that good, basically. Oh, um, which is just ridiculous. Look again, Jason Whitlock. Jason Whitlock, who ranted on her, his his rant was unwarranted. And no one's. But where is where is any of this directed at Holly Holm? She and look. To the person, she lost to the person that Ronda beat twice. So what does that mean? Yeah, it means Misha was a bad matchup. I mean, <laughs> by and large. Right. And Misha, again, like I think you could argue that Misha was is is another one of those one hit wonders, if not for a bit of a run in Strike Force, right. which was somewhat marred by the general level Ronda, of opposition. I mean, Misha has a better re- UFC record than Holly Holm. Uh, probably I'd have to double, I assume that, I assume that's correct without double checking it at the moment. Maybe not. I mean, she has a better, uh, she has a better title. Uh, let me think. He's lost less title fights than Holly has. Uh, if we're talking just the UFC In the UFC, yes. Yeah. She's, I think one and two. Cause she got destroyed by Rhonda. Beat Holly, got blo- got obliterated by Amanda and then never then just mentally checked out. Right. But she, I feel like she beat more top opponents. Eh, I don't know. I mean, if we take away Holly, what's Misha's best win? Um, I mean, Sarah Kaufman, maybe Sarah McMahon, I think at the time. Yeah. Yeah, but McMahon washed. It. I don't know. I think even at the time, like McMahon is just just never really panned out. Yeah, she was having a good run a little while ago. I don't know. Again, like Misha was, you know, uh, she fought a lot. She fought the people that were available to her. Right. But you know that whole generation of fight, like I don't think she, uh, I don't necessarily think Misha has a ton of quality wins. Like she just kind of stuck around and was in for the grind for a while. Right. 
what are what are Holly? But what are Holly's quality wins other than Ronda? Oh no, Holly's only got Ronda. I, I'm not necessarily so, Raquel Pennington, Kahan and Anderson. Those are her only. Those are her only UFC wins. Yeah, she doesn't have a lot. I know. Ronda had a better record than that. Yeah. So. And and look, uh, women's MMA still isn't quite as stacked uh, in her divisions. Yeah, Def- women's bantamweight is in a really bad spot, actually. And uh, and I'm not trying, and I'm not like being massaged. It just isn't. There just isn't as many women. There isn't as many bodies. But even all that, I just feel like her career, her. MMA career was not all that impressive. She just got, she just looked into her spot because she was getting a lot of hype, being a boxing champion, undefeated, and Ronda Rousey needed a fresh opponent and a fresh face. She won the Ronda Rousey uh, lottery, and she won. But... And look, you know, she did okay. She did okay. I think she did probably better than some of us expected in this fight because she lasted longer than Cyborg, right? Yep. And Ronda. So. And Misha. <laughs> and I mean, and Holly's a lot older now too. She's thirty-seven. Yeah. Like. She started the sport a little late because she had a whole she had a whole other career. Yeah. Before she started MMA. So. Look, yeah, I, I mean, look, for her to be she found success in two sports and that's rare. But. I think a lot of her MMA career success was due to hype. I'm sorry. More, more so than Ronda Rousey. Eh. It's just my opinion. Yeah, I just, I'd really have to, I'd really have to dig into that one to see where I stood on, where I stood on that position. Uh, Amanda Nunes wants to make history next by being the first uh, double champion to actually defend both of the titles she holds. Which would be the last, that, that's basically the last, like, real bridge for a double champion. Because that is the only thing that no one who's accomplished that in the UFC has done. I think her other bridge would be breaking Ronda's title defense record. I don't think she cares. <laughs> she's close. Yeah, but I, I don't think... Four, th- she's up to four now. I just don't think that holds a lot of allure for her. She okay. said after this fight that you know, the next thing she wants to do is defend the 145-pound title. I mean, she could do that, but it's still the 145-pound title. Sure, but it's, again, she would also be the first yeah. double champion to actually defend both belts while holding both belts. Right. Well. Which is a much more difficult task to actually accomplish than... Do you think she beats Chris Cyborg again? I have no reason to think otherwise. Huh. I mean, look, again, I like Cyborg as kind of a generalized rule, but I don't know that what she would 
I don't know what adjustment she would make to have the fight go differently than the first time. Cyborg other than was the favorite in the first fight. She was, and I think I picked her. Yeah. Of course, I also said at the time that if Amanda is intelligent, keeps her at the end of her punches, she can succeed because that's one of them. That's one of Amanda's like best attributes is her understanding of proper range. Because if you again, if you ever watch the Cyborg fight, Cyborg does a lot of very kind of close proximity hooking with her arms, uh, especially the way her elbows are bent. Whereas Amanda is very aware of how far she has to extend her arms to land a punch. And most of Cyborg stuff winds up falling a few inches short while Amanda is in perfect position to clobber her. It's again, it's a really great attribute. Amanda has that she kind of showed off here in this fight. Again, Holly had some success, especially early in this fight with some of her leg kicks. She kind of rattled Nunes a little bit when Nunes kind of ran into a really stiff check hook. And uh, you know, Nunes reset, but once they really kind of got into the faking and fainting game, and Holly bit on a, a fake from Amanda, tried to recover by thinking about a sidekick, didn't actually throw it, which was unfortunate, because if you're going to go on one leg, you better do something with it, otherwise you're going to be horribly out of position. She didn't. She was horribly out of position, and Nunes kicked her in the face. Uh, if you want another example of this different, again, very different finish, but watch the second Demetrius Johnson and Joseph Benavidez fight. That entire finishing punch and sequence stems from Joseph thinking about a some kind of a step-through kick off of his back leg. So he brings up the rear leg like he's, and I believe it's his right leg, like he's going to throw something, stops, and just replants it into his stance. But that whole bit of, that bit of time when he's immobile on one leg lets DJ adjust the angle, slide it, and then crush him with that right hand. But I mean, how good does Valentina look now after all these performances, you know? Valentina, I think, is the only legitimate threat to Amanda Nunes at the moment. I mean... She's, she is still given... I mean, I mean, in the past five years, let me preface the past five years, she is given Amanda her toughest fights. By far. And she's really been the only one to somewhat, not beat her, but stifle her to some degree. Or win rounds on her. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Since, the cat's in, since the Cat's in Gano fight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nunes is just an absolute monster at this point. I... You know, I, mean, I, I wouldn't... Honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing that matchup again someday if it comes up. But I don't know. Maybe that's unrealistic. I mean, if Shevchenko gets by um, Liz Carmouche yeah. and Nunes is and all parties are amenable. I mean, the next most vi- the next most viable contender at bantamweight is, I believe, Ketlin Vieja, uh-huh. whose biggest win, I think, was her last one. Wasn't it Zingano? Uh, VA has been out for a while, actually. Let's see, it was VA. It was it was, Mc, it was that a McMahon? Oh, a while ago. Yeah, yeah she, VA has been out for a while. Yeah, she's like the next actual contender at bantamweight who's been out for a while and reacts very badly when hit. <laughs> 
So well, if you just want to keep the division moving within itself, it's probably Vieja that you try to go for. Uh, but Amanda looks like she's really just sharpened everything up. Basically. Yeah, I mean, your only real hope of beating her is to cautiously, and this is one of the things I think Holly was kind of doing, mm-hmm. to make her work. Because, and we'll touch on this when we talk about the uh, Claudia Gadelia and Randa Marcos fight. Yeah. Just because someone has questionable cardio doesn't mean that, like, the raw passage of time is enough to deplete it. Right. You you have to make them work. And, again, kind of to Holly's credit, that's what she was doing with Nunes. There were a few, there was a bit of time in that round when Nunes kind of started biting on Holly's right. faking. And she was a little bit overswinging. She was getting out of position. And again, she adjusted very well to it, but that's the kind of thing you have to do against a fighter with a questionable gas tank. You do have to make them actually work and deplete it, not just hope that, boy, I hope they can't actually just walk around for 15 minutes. Because, sorry, even questionable gas tanks are okay for a, a full fight if you let them dictate the pace or if you don't really push it. I just think Valentina Shevchenko is a badass. Oh, she is. Like Nunez and Shevchenko is like the best, co- the biggest combination of just actual badassery and w- on the women's side of things that the but UFC could assemble. It's weird, it's weird that just watching this fight makes me even more impressed with Shevchenko being able to. Do I mean, it, get, it gives con- it just gives further context to how good and how successful Valentina was in those fights because Nunez right. is a destroyer of worlds. Right, like that woman will end you. And I've. And I feel like she's only gotten better recently. Yeah, she's worked very hard on a few of her minor issues and really sharpened well, up some stuff. I, she's I, she's in her prime. She's in in the prime of her career really right now. Yeah, I I don't think it's going to be quite some time before you get another female fighter whose resume is going to realistically approach what Amanda Nunes has done in her career so far. I agree. I you mean, she. Clo- I think you want to came close. In some ways, yes. In others, Ioana, I guess Ioana wasn't quite like the killer that I mean. No, Ioana had a really good run, but again, if we look at what Nunez has done, yeah, she beat starching people. I mean, look, she beat every other champion in that division, and she stopped all of them in the first round. Yeah, and Cyborg. She beat Cyborg in the first round in like in what under a minute. I, I mean, yeah, you know, you and I again, you and I have been around the sport long enough, and I think some of the listeners have as well. You and I can both remember when you know Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg. That was like the holy trinity of women's MMA in a lot of respects. Yep, and Nunez obliterated all of them. I mean, those weren't even competitive fights. She just steamrolled them. Uh, I mean, she has put together a ridiculous body of work. I mean, again, 15 years from now, when the sports evolved a little bit, maybe someone comes along who's able to put forth a compelling argument, but it's going to be a while because Amanda has just run roughshod over the people who came a little bit before her, all of her contemporaries, and a few of the rising generation. Like, that's everything you want out of a dominant fighter. 
So I don't know what she does next, but uh, it's going to be a long time before I before someone has a realistic chance of beating that woman. She is just um, she is just an absolute wrecking machine. So they had to scrape Ben Askren off the canvas last. Yeah, week. holy Jorge Masvidal. Uh, with the flying knee knockout five seconds into the first round. Oh. It was less than five seconds. Five seconds officially seconds. for the stoppage, yeah. It was five. It took five seconds for the referee to peel Masvidal off of Asper. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what took five seconds. Yeah. Um, uh, this was This was brutal, man. Is Askren that one-dimensional that he would duck right into that knee. I mean, yes. Wow. Look, a- Askren's a specialist. He's always been a specialist. Yeah. And in in somewhat fairness to Askren, I will say this. I I don't think he was expecting the flying knee so much as he saw Mosfidal rapidly closing distance. And when someone's putting that much of their weight closing like that, you don't have to be a, a wrestler the caliber of someone like Ben Askren to go, oh, this is a good time to duck under, double leg them when all of their weight is compromised coming forward. That's a very that's why a lot of guys, even when coming forward against strong wrestlers, don't really commit a lot of their weight because they don't want to be caught out of position. Sometimes guys stir that knee, they'll hit the knee and they'll still get taken down. Yeah. Uh, Mosvidal just... He got all of it. Really good timing, really good placement, and... I, man, I, I don't have a whole lot to, I can't, I mean, again, this was a five second fight officially. There's not a lot to talk about technically. That, what he did does take brilliant timing and strategy. And they were preparing for that. Like if you, uh, apparently there's some video that's been released, uh, after the fact of, you know, uh, the days leading up to it, them drilling that sprint that, you know, move to your right, charge out flying knee. And let's and, see what happens after that. But you know what? No one's been able to do that to ask him before. Nope. This and everybody knows what he's going to do. <laughs> and there's no, there's no, you know, duplicity about Ben Askren's game. There's no mystery. Dude's going to get a hold of you. He's going to wrestle you. And I mean, Osvidal just found uh, was able to get a read, find that opening, and lower the boom. Um, man, I, get... I, I, I like Masvidal, but I still don't think he can beat Kamara Usman. That's a really, I mean, Kamara Usman's a really tough fight for everyone. And I. If Tyron Woodley were the champion, I would I would actually pick uh, Masvidal in that fight. I think I would lean towards Masvidal. Uh, again, Usman is just a really smothering fighter that no but one in the UFC has been able to really answer. This fight was over after that knee. Like Askren was out. Oh, right, he was out. He was unconscious before he hit the ground. Had the ref stopped the fight sooner, this could have potentially been the fastest MMA knockout ever. Um, instead, it's just fastest UFC knockout ever. Yeah, it, yeah. Masvidal is pretty clearly in the title picture now, and 
You know, for a guy who's been around for as long as Jorge Masvidal has, and, I mean, Masvidal fought in, like, Bodog. I think I watched at least one of those fights. I think you he know, fought in shark fights, too. I mean, he's fought everywhere. Like, fought the guys... Bellator, Sengoku, yeah. AFC, Bodog, yeah. Uh, crazy Horse fights, early Bellator stuff, World Victory Road... Strike Force, UFC, just, you know, he's just kind of been around. He's been a journeyman for a long time. And he just, and he just really finally seems to have put everything together. together. I mean, he was, I think, yeah, he was the first guy. Here's a, here's a blast. Here's a throwback. The first guy to beat Joe Lozon in Lozon's career was Jorge Masvidal. Back in 2005. That was 14 years ago. Yeah, Masvidal stopped him with strikes. Uh, Holy crap, Austin, Rafael Austin Sal beat. You got to consider him in the title title mix right now after a win like that. Um, I mean, he's had a great 2019, man. He's got two knockout of the year contenders. And if if that flying knee isn't the knockout of the year... I don't know what kind of insanity is going to beat it, but I feel bad for whoever's on the the wrong end of it. Right. Um, I suppose I should talk briefly about this because this kind of got brought up by some people and I'm going to say my piece and let me be clear about this. I'm not trying to shame anyone for their position. I'm not trying to dissuade anyone from their position on this. But there were some people who seemed really off-put by Masvidal's kind of showboating after the win. So, here's the thing about that. And, again, this is my perspective. I'm not the biggest fan of it, okay? just I prefer that MMA be more professional. And I don't really, I don't go in much for the trash talk. I don't go in much for the you know the bitter the bitter hatred between fighters because half the time it's bogus, and I I just I don't buy into the kind of tacit self delusion that a lot of MMA fans seem to want. There's a there's a lot of fans, and that want the bad blood, that want the animosity, that that helps them buy into the value of a fight, and fair play. And then they also, after it's all done, want to see everybody shake hands and be friends. Here's the reality of that. 90% of the time, that means either the respect is bogus or the animosity is bogus. I don't know why you guys want to delude yourselves about how that works, but you do. So, and whatever helps you get through the day, man. Fair enough. That's not me. That's not my relationship with the sport at this point in time. I'd rather there wasn't trash talk. Again, it doesn't do much for me, personally. But the casual fan does pay attention to it, and the casual audience is the largest portion of the MMA audience. Sucks for those of us that have to deal with that reality, because you know the, the fans who only tune in for you know the big trash talk drama fights... You know, they're nowhere to be seen when the, some of us, you know, wake up at three in the morning to catch a card from Singapore. Right? That, that's the par- you know, look. The pitfalls of being a hardcore fan. It sucks sometimes. It really does. But Ben Askren, there's 
that all that is to say, there's a bunch of fighters that will seem to kind of engage in, um, oh, what's the word for it? In kind of an implicit collusion where they both know, okay, if we talk trash at each other, more people will be interested, more fi- we'll both benefit financially, but neither of us really mean it mean a lot of it we'll just kind of play it up for the cameras and and again fair play like you making a living punching other people in the face do whatever you have to to maximize your earning value but there's a but there's a few guys who they don't they don't play you know they, they don't go in for that you know i said this after the connor and khabib fight khabib doesn't play around man you know, there's there's guys who Connor has engaged in trash talk and banter with. You know, Nate Diaz springs instantly to mind. Like those two were just sure every, in the whole buildup, they're gonna talk crap to each other. They'll get involved in some stupidity, and then after the fight, they'll shake hands and be buddy buddy because they both know what they're. They both get the game in that respect, and they're both willing to play it that way. Khabib doesn't play. Jorge Masvidal doesn't play. And Ben Askren, in the lead-up to this fight and throughout his entire career, Ben Askren talks a lot of crap. A lot of it. And it's part of his charm. I get it. When he releases stupid parody videos or when he's on Twitter and ends everything with Boom Roasted because he's aware of a little bit of how cringy he is, it's part of his charm. And to those who are charmed by it, fair enough, I get it. He's, he chooses to make a name... In, to help facilitate his his career, in addition to his fighting abilities, with a lar- with a personality like that, fair enough. Not my cup of tea personally, but fair enough. This is a tough business. You make money how you can, and if that helps him, fair play. But when you run across some guys who take that stuff personally, and they brutally finish you then yeah, they're going to celebrate a little. And again, I'm not saying you have to like what Jorge did. Again, I'm not a big fan of it. I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather that's. I'd rather that wasn't a real part of the sport. It does not contribute to my enjoyment. But Jorge Masvidal doesn't play around. And if you talk as much crap as Askren did, are you really going to be surprised when he reacts jubilantly to finishing him and does kind of clown on him a bit. Again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't teach anyone to do it, but... I mean, who's surprised by this? And... uh, I mean, really. (laughs) So, it didn't bother me, but I'm also kind of just numb to... As long as you don't break the rules, I'm okay with... I've just kind of become numb to the majority of the stupidity that fighters do in the cage. Didn't throw uh, a dolly cart. Uh, which was also, which is also illegal. <laughs> he didn't jump over the cage and start a riot. So he did not. I don't really care. Yeah. I, I mean, again, for me that I, it was just an odd thing to see people oh, react that way to it, but Askren, Askren got what he, what he wanted. He wanted this fight. He didn't want the rematch with Lawler. He wanted the winner of Till versus Masvidal. They gave him the fight he wanted. He was provo- he was provoking Gamebred, was he not? Uh, again, Ben Askren pokes the bear. 
I mean, the first thing he did. Sometimes that works. It's undeniable. It does. It's mental game. And if you can use that to your advantage, as some fighters can, as some fighters do, I say go for it. It didn't work for Askren. And this is what happens when it does not work. Sorry. That, yep. That is, that's basically my perspective on it. So, yeah, Masvidal in the title picture, kind of pending the outcome of Lawler and Covington later this year. Um, yeah, you know, it's really nice to see Masvidal. This situation with Usman, we could be having another interim title fight coming up. It's possible. Uh, it's nice to see Jorge succeed, and I did want to bring this up because Masvidal is a guy that has, for the last like four or five years, probably longer actually, visibly possessed the complete tool set to be a truly elite level fighter. But for some reason had points where he just coast, mental hiccups, a few bad decisions, a few close decisions. And you know, some of the, some of that's just the breaks of the fight game. Like close fights that could go either way, like the Damian Maya fight. Fair enough, could go either way. It's gonna uh, go one way. He matured a little late, I feel like. Yeah, whatever happened like over like two thousand eighteen, like whatever he did that year and he apparently went on some kind of uh like technology free retreat kind of thing that really seems to have done some work for him. Uh, whatever he did, he has finally kind of really put everything together consistently. And you know what? It's really nice to see a guy who we all know, knew had that kind of potential really start realizing it. And that doesn't mean he's going to be champion. Well, I'm, but I've always thought he was good, just never quite. He, he always just had a couple of hiccups, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just always thought he he wasn't quite at that level to be like one of those elite level guys. He definitely looks there now, but let's see if he gets that title fight, or let's see if he gets if he gets put in a title eliminator. Will he be able to win it this time? To me, that's the ultimate payoff. Yeah all of this but we'll see i mean and i just i'm gonna say looked amazing he looked like a million bucks last night and that was that was like the mother of all flying knees that was the mother of all knockouts so i and i mean a bad thing really he looked really good against till apart from that early knockdown yeah again he's really kind of getting it together i mean again I would not pick him to beat Kamaru Usman in particular at this point. Well, but if they fought and he did win, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, all right, moving on. Pick him to beat Lawler, probably. At yeah, this at this point, yeah. I like Robbie Lawler, man, but... So do I. But at this point in his career, yeah, I'd pick Jorge. Uh, Jan Blahovich knocked out Luke Rockhold a uh, minute and 39 seconds into the second round with a left hook from hell. Rockhold did not look good last night. Ah, oh, man. I mean, he, he had, had a, flat performances. I mean, he looked good for the first, like, 30 seconds. He looked, he, he actually, he had some consistent kicks. He landed them well. He varied them. His punches looked a little bit better than they had before. And he, and he started grappling. With, then he just really overcommitted to that takedown. 
and he never seemed to get his his legs and his arms and his shoulders back underneath him after that exchange. Yes, he was apparently battling a staph infection going into this, so maybe, I don't know, maybe that might have had an effect on him. Yeah, he's had, I think since the Yoel Romero fight, he's had issues with his left shin. That's why he was wearing that weird kind of sleeve over some of the bandages that he had. He had, he had staph before the Weidman fight, too. Yeah, he's battled, I mean the vast majority of MMA fighters wind up battling staff more than once. Mm. So he, he's had that again. He's had issues with that shin. Uh, again, uh, it got cut open in the Romero fight. He got staff localized to that area. I think he's had some surgery on it. Mm-hmm. it it's been an issue. I feel Rockhold is, you know, we talk about Amanda Nunes being in her prime right now. I feel that time has passed for Rockhold. Yeah, I, I think so. And, because, look, look, I think it was fine for him to try to make a move up to 205. I think he just, I think he started his move up too late. Yeah, and he's been really inactive. I mean, I forget, I saw, I saw it on Twitter. I forget who posted this, so my, I, for, I apologize for misremembering. But he, for the last, like, four years, he's had one fight a year. Yep. And four years can constitute your physical prime. And in his past four fights, he's been knocked out three uh, in three out of four fights. Yeah, it's it's not a good look, uh, especially when the tendencies that he has that are leading to his problems are not really being addressed. I'm not, and, and I'm not even saying he has to retire yet. Um, I think he does need to make some changes, but we'll see. Can I just say about this, the funniest, I think the funniest reaction to this uh, knockout that I saw was a still of it right after Jan lands that left hook and uh, Rockhold's falling back and just kind of the way his face is contorted. Uh, somebody said on, I think this was Grabaka Hitman, said, Luke Rockhold got hit so hard, he now looks like Stefan Bonner. And if you look at just that one uh, still shot, his face and Bonner's bear a bit of an uncanny you resemblance. You guys are mean. Oh, I know I am, but I don't care. These are cruel. Look, in uh, in three weeks, he's going to be getting paid to pose for a camera and will look like a million bucks again. Like, All right. So for one shot, he looks like Stefan Bonner. Um, and look, Rockhold's, I mean, really, he's he's had a good career. He has. He's had a really good career, and it's going to be you know marred by injuries and layoffs more than anything else but and getting, and getting knocked out by michael bisping sure i mean that ruined ruin anyone career anyone's i career. just think i just think he kind of peaked he kind of peaked with the weidman fight really yeah, or, or that, maybe not that fight but like that run was sort of like the peak of his career yeah after that fight some of his injury issues seemed to really start amping up a little bit because i mean he was off for a while before right. the the bisping fight uh, no, because that was in December. Oh. No, the Bisping fight was the June after the December fight with Wyden. So that wasn't that long. Okay. Oh, they, they were trying to make the... That was supposed to be um, a rematch with him and Wyden, yeah, wasn't it? that's correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still wouldn't mind seeing a rematch between those two down the line, but to me, I feel like that's almost sort of like Rockhold's last chance almost. 
kind of make a go of it. Well, he's going to be out for a while. I mean, he, he his jaw was broken in this fight. Oh, like, damn. I didn't even know that. I'm pretty, I believe they confirmed that. They confirmed that oh, medically. Okay. His jaw was busted. I mean, I like, Ro- I, I, I like Rockhold, but I mean, look. Kind of like Askren, he talked a big game going into this, and you see Anthony Smith's reaction. No, what did he? I mean, because I know he had it. Smith. Had oh yeah, it. he he and Rockle had traded some barbs. His reaction was uh, the gif of Kermit the Frog sipping tea and just says, "Luke oh. Rockle talks all that shit, but that's none of my business." I mean, <laughs> just, he had every right to do that at because. I, I got a kick out Rockhold of it. Rockhold likes to poke the bear. He likes to poke the bear a lot too. He does. Um, and look, I, I have no problem with that. It's just that you know, if, if you it goes to the other way, that, the if piper it, comes it goes due. the other way, you're going to have egg on your face. You know, it, the bill comes due for that. Exactly. Um, and look, I like Jan Blahovich, but I mean, he's never really been, until recently, been like that high level of a light heavy. I mean, look, he lost to Jimmy Manawa, Corey Anderson. He was one and four in the UFC yeah. at one point. Exact. That's what I mean. And here's the other thing, Robert. He's not a knockout guy. This was his first knockout in almost five years. His last knockout was in 2014 against Eler Latifi. Uh, his last finish via strikes. Yeah. When he crumpled Latifi uh, with that body kick. Right. And how often does, how often did Bisbing knock people out in his career in the UFC? Very, very infrequently. Like, let's see. For Bisbing, the fight with Ra- okay, well, Kung Lee. Even that was even that wasn't a, a you know a that big was, knockout. It's just an accumulation of damage. Right. That was like his first straight knockout. His his first straight one punch knockout. In his UFC career, I believe. Yeah, I mean, again, even if we talk finishes with strikes, you know, he had. Uh, I'm gonna. Jason Miller, Kong Lee, and I think one other one. Uh, if we go way back again, he had a few others because uh, he finished Jorge okay. Rivera. Yeah, Jorge Rivera. He finished uh, Josh. Finished Kang. And he finished Kang. Jason, did he Jason finish? Kang. Wait, wait. Did he finish Kang? Yes, he did. Okay. In Jason I, Day. Oh uh, yeah, Jason Day. Um, he finished. Did he finish Elvis Senesek back in the day? Uh, yeah. And then he finished Josh something or other to win his Josh season Hayden. of the Ultimate Fighter. Ultimate Fighter, correct. But yeah, it, with a guy well, with as many he fights, was not as, a fin- he was not a finisher, and Jan Blahovich isn't either. That's my point, and, and he's getting knocked out by those guys. Yeah, it, it's um, a problem. He needs to he needs to address that if he wants to keep going. Um, but. Rockhold has had a good career, and it looks like he has he has prospects outside of the sport, so he doesn't have to continue fighting. But it's not my decision. Yeah, if I'm him, again, I, I take some time to really kind of consider whether or not I want to uh, keep doing this. He has he's he's he has a successful model career. He's like a cover boy. He's yeah, he's the uh, he is actually the I believe the cover boy for the what the Ralph Lauren line yeah, that's coming like, out. And you know. Like, these are prestigious and brands. In the modeling world, that's a big deal. Right. And look, his, his fighting career probably helped open doors for that. Um, you know, but, along you know, with his dashing looks. 
I mean, any athletic career, it has a very has a relatively short shelf life. So yeah. use it to open other doors. Yeah, and I feel like he's done that. And look, and look, we hear about the whole small window. I feel like Rockhold's window is nearly closed at this point. Yeah, because uh, he's thirty four. Arguably, he's already old in the sport now because he's thirty four. He's at that. He's at that age. And with the with the types of injuries and the layoffs that he's had to deal with. But the good thing is he has a lot. He can be he can end his career now, and so can Holly Holm, and he, and they both have a lot they can hang their hat on. Like who who can very few people can say they were a UFC champion. That is a relatively small club. And get to do what he's done in his career, so. I'm not saying he should. I, I'm saying he needs to start thinking about his exit strategy. Yeah, I, I'd be re- I'd be really surprised if he's still fighting in three years. As does as does Diego Sanchez. Oh god, this fight. Okay, Michael Chiesa defeats Diego Sanchez via unanimous decision, thirty twenty six across the board. Thirty twenty six is generous. I gave Michael Chiesa 10-8s in all three rounds because they were under the new scoring system. And under the new scoring system, it's just if you win the round by a wide enough margin to necessarily get a 10-8. And I thought he did. I don't think there's a single stretch of 10 consecutive seconds at any point in this fight that Diego Sanchez wins. Uh, This was comical. I mean, commentary said, because this was such a grappling-heavy fight, I think Joe Rogan said, this looks like a black belt rolling with a blue belt. And that's about right. This was not competitive. Uh, Chiesa just ragdolled and manhandled Diego Sanchez through the entirety of this fight. Um, Diego Sanchez only had one corner man with him who's not actually a real fight coach. Uh Honestly, I think that should be I think that should be a, a rule that you can't have only one corner. I think you should be mandated um at the commission level to have at least two people in your corner when you fight. Just as a just as a matter of course. Like I, I don't think only having one corner man should be acceptable from a regulatory standpoint. Now if you still want to bring, you know, a bozo like this fair play, like that's on you, but uh, I, I I saw a lot of this in the build-up to this fight for all of us who were kind of mentioning that, you know, we're not sure Diego Sanchez should still be fighting because he's absorbed, I think, the most head strikes of anyone in UFC history at this point. If not the most, a clear second. He's like right behind BJ Penn, I think, in terms of people who have absorbed the most head trauma. And he's starting to really slur his words. And yeah, he's always been goofy. And But I don't care. He's he's the same level of goofy. But look at how he's presenting himself. Look at the way he's speaking. And yeah, I've got some concerns about that. And there's a lot of people who went, oh, how dare you? Why? You know, eh. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of, oh, it's just Diego. He's always been a quirky guy. And there was a lot. There was some stupidity like... You'll change your tune when he wins the fight. Like, I'm sorry, does winning reverse brain damage? 
Did that become a thing? Because I don't think it is. Look, Andre Arlovsky still wins fights. That doesn't mean I'm not concerned about the amount of damage he's taken to his brain. Winning is ancillary to the discussion about your health when you fight and whether or not it's an ethical, whether or not you're in an ethical position to continue sanctioning someone to fight. I mean, all these people came out of the woodwork when BJ Penn had a decent five minutes against Clay Guida in 2019. No, that's not how this works. So Kiesa gets another win. He said he wants a top 10 guy next, and which is somewhat comical after beating, you know, Carlos Condit and Diego Sanchez. The in, guy won his last two fights. He beat guys who shouldn't have been in the UFC. <laughs> I, don't, I care much less about that. Uh, I mean, Carlos Condit. Sorry. He lost to Anthony Pettis. Yeah, I know. He beat Condit, and I like Condit, but Condit was on a pretty bad skid at that point. And now he beat Sanchez, who, again, I question if he should even be sanctioned to fight. Now he wants a top 10 guy at welterweight. Just, eh. Can I get it? Last two, though. I don't care. He beat Mickey Gall and some bum from Scotland. Uh, was Craig, was he from Scotland? I don't know. Was on a Greg White. I don't know. He's Brit. He's he's from one of the British Isles. I don't know what his specific nationality is, but he should. I mean, Craig White like shouldn't be in the UFC. Yeah, he's British. Okay. I mean, White shouldn't be in the UFC. He's not a UFC caliber fighter. That was made abundantly clear okay. in both of his UFC fights. Arguably, Mickey Gall isn't UFC caliber either. I don't think he is. I mean, his whole his whole success in the UFC was largely predicated on fighting guys who should on beating guys who also shouldn't really be in the UFC. I mean, the guys Mickey Gall he had like one win that wasn't over a, a just like bizarre. Yeah, okay, he beat George Sullivan. That's his only quasi-legitimate UFC win. Other than that, it's Mike Jackson, CM Punk, and Sage Northcutt. With losses to Randy Brown, like, the legitimate guys that he fought, he got beat by, and Randy Brown and Diego, I can't believe I'm saying Diego Sanchez is legitimate in 2019. But if you're getting finished by Diego Sanchez in 2019, you shouldn't be in the UFC. So, uh, I don't know specifically what you do with Kiesa next. About the welterweight rankings here, just out of curiosity, because he brought it up. So, and see if there's someone in the top ten that uh, might make sense for him to fight. We have Robbie Lawler, who's scheduled to fight Colby Covington. Rafael dos Anjos is fighting Leon. Hmm? Even Thompson. I think he's the only one not busy, because Woodley is out for the moment uh, with a hand injury, I believe. Covington's fighting Lawler. Dos Anjos is fighting Edwards. Askren just got knocked out. There's Darren Till as a possibility. Masvidal just knocked out Askren. What's wrong with Puns and Evie? Uh, doesn't he have a fight slend up, or was that... He might. No, no, they announced Luke. It was Luke and Perry that they announced. Uh, Is Ponzi Nibio still hurt? I don't know. I do not know what's up with him. 
Because like he 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 was like on an incredible win streak, and I feel like still he, is. I mean, he he still is. He hasn't lost. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like he's due for a big fight. I feel like. So yeah, you could do Ponzinibbio or Thompson or Till or seem like if you're gonna if you want to throw, give him. You know what I say? Give him Damian Maya. Let's just have that hug fest. I mean, I wouldn't really want Ponzinibbio, but um, Damian Maya wouldn't be a bad idea, I think, or Stephen Thompson. Yeah, or if you want to give Darren Till another kind of smothering wrestler, but who's really hittable. Assuming Till's even sticking around at welterweight. I mean, look, if you're Michael Chiesa, if you want a top 10 guy that you have a good shot at beating, there's Darren Till at number six. I don't think Till makes sense. I like the Thompson idea. Wait, doesn't Thompson have a fight? He might. I can't remember if they announced something for him or not. I don't believe he does. No, he just had the knockout. uh, Yeah, because he just had the loss to Pettis. But, yeah, I don't think he's... Leon, Leon Edwards, does he have his next... Yeah, Leon Edwards is fighting Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, they are, I think they're the main event for... Oh, there's some... Yeah, they're the main event for the San Antonio card in on the 20th. Should Dos Anjos still be ranked in the top five, you think? Eh, no reason he shouldn't be. I mean, he again, he had the two losses, but they're to Covington and Usman, and... But he beat his only win was Kevin Lee. Well, that's the that's the win to break the losing streak. But right. I don't. I mean, I don't really have a problem with him being ranked there. Okay. I mean, who would you put a? Uh, I, I mean, Masvidal might wind up above him after that performance, but I I yeah I, I don't have a problem with it. I feel like really. Masvidal should be top three right now. Yeah, Masvidal's gonna leapfrog Dos Anjos. I feel Dosanya shouldn't be above Askren at this point. Well, maybe going into last night, not, but I, at this point, I think I would. Um. See, I, I, I'm not sure even Pettis should be in the top ten. Oh, Pettis shouldn't. Um. I feel Pons and Ebo for right now, and and Edwards should both be a little higher. I agree. Like, I feel Edwards should solidly be in the top 10. Like, maybe Edwards is, is 9 or 10. And I feel Ponzi Nebio should be, like, 6 or 7. Yeah. That's where I would put them. Like, I feel Ponzi Nebio is just outside the top 5. Yeah, again, that's probably where I would have them lined up at the moment. But yeah. I'm not asked to submit a ranking for the UFC, so... Just based on this list I'm looking at right now, which is the official rankings. So. Yeah, I'm looking at them too. And again, I that this is not how I would have them ranked. I kind of agree more with you. Uh, my my just feeling is when you lose back to back fights, I feel like you should drop a little bit more. He did. Uh, he uh, the <laughs> the Lee win boosted him. Yeah. That was Lee, but was that not Lee's like official welterweight debut? It was. I mean, that was really his first fight at welterweight, even though he, he had missed weight before. So, eh. 
I, I mean, it's right. It's the UFC rankings, man. I don't, I don't Your head will like, explode if you think I, I don't about it too feel much. Overly keeps you at number three is my feeling. I feel like other guys can, you know. But whatever. So yeah, again, I'd be okay with Kiesa fighting someone again near number ten ish, but uh, and, you know, and, man, Kiesa's a big dude. Watch, looking at him in that fight. Like the fact that he made 155 as consistently not, as he did. I'm not sure I see him. I think he can make it to the top level, top, uh, top 10 level. I'm not sure if he can like make it to that upper echelon, but you know, he has some good, he has some good skills. I think can get him pretty far. Yeah. He's a bit on the one dimensional side in terms of him. you really wanting to grapple and back take kind of thing, but he's really good at it. And it's not like he's completely out of his depth in the other areas. I mean, he, he, he did fairly well considering his trouble making it to one fit. He did fairly well at lightweight. Yeah, yeah, he had a solid lightweight career, all things considered. But man, seeing him filled out at, at welterweight, uh, this is clearly where he should be. All right, uh, that was your main card. Again, the main event, bit of a dud. Uh, the rest of it. And Kiesa and Sanchez, I mean, if you see the first round, you've seen the fight kind of thing. But, you know, Rockhold and Blahovich was solid and had a good finish. Masvidal's need of Ben Askren was a thing of beauty. And you know, Nunes continuing to make history. And th- that was a decent enough, you know, kind of four-minute fight. So, really solid main card. Uh, as for the prelims, Arnold Allen just pieced up Gilbert Melendez to win a unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Very uh, surprising. How so? It was a joke. Ah, uh, I was going to say. I mean, if you mean that Al- that Allen couldn't get a finish, then yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, Melendez shouldn't be at featherweight. Uh, pretty clearly, this is not a good weight class for him. And I mean, look, when we talk about all-time great lightweights, Melendez is not at the top of that list, but he's in the discussion. He ranks probably in the top 10 best lightweights ever at the moment. But that was a while ago, and that's not where he is now. Uh, Good win for Arnold Allen, who continues to show a lot of skill. A guy to pay attention to, and not just because he beat, you know, an over-the-hill Melendez. uh, Arnold Allen's been on the radar for a while for a lot of us. Uh, Marlon Vera defeated Noellen Hernandez via rear naked choke in the second round. This was kind of a funny fight. Just because in the second round, uh, Marlon Vera is able to get out from under Hernandez and just kind of decide somewhere in his head, you know what, I've had enough of this. And then (laughs) charges forward, uh, punches, flying knee, back take, choke, done. Like when Marlon Vera decides he's going to go, he goes. Uh, Claudia Gadelia defeated Randa Marcos via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. This fight sucked. I mean, you know, credit to Gadelia, I suppose, for winning a fight without going for a single takedown, but this fight was pedestrian. Um, Song Yadong, man, knocked out Alejandro Perez clean two minutes and four seconds into the first round. Perez threw a bit of a naked inside leg kick, Song read it and just lowered the boom with a right hand. Uh, beautiful finish. Song Yadong, man. He's coming along. 
Uh, he's got some explosiveness to him. He's got power. And he has really, really good reads and reaction time. Uh, really pay attention to that guy. Edmund Shabazian defeated Jack Marshman via rear naked choke a minute and 12 seconds into the first round. Commentary is all over this guy's jock. I mean, look, there's a lot of upside to him. He's shown some pretty serious skills, but reacting to beating Jack Marshman like this, Jack Marshman is a math fighter in the UFC. I mean, Shabazian was as high as like a minus 800 favorite. This is exactly what was supposed to happen. Can we not be overly shocked? Uh, Chance Rencounter scored a bit of an upset, defeated Ishmael Nerudia via unanimous decision, 29-27, 29-28, 30-27. I disagree with 30-27 just because I don't think he did enough with his takedown in the first round to negate the damage that Nerudia did, but... Narudiev never really had an answer to being stuck on the bottom in half guard. He never really was able to kind of frame, hip scoot, execute any kind of get up. And once Ren Counter was able to get the fight there, just kept it there and squished him. And kicking everything off, Julia Avila defeated Penny Kian Zad via unanimous decision 30 27, 30 26, 30 26. It was just kind of there for me. Avila's got some power, especially, you know, for women's bantamweight. There's, she's only like, this is, she's got less than 10 fights. So when I say there's stuff that needs ironing out, that's to be expected from anyone at that stage of their career. But there's stuff she needs to iron out. Uh, but, you know, she get, uh, got a good win in the UFC. So, you yeah, good for her. Uh, all right. Jeff, anything from the prelims you wanted to touch on? Marlon Vera got a pretty sweet one. Marlon Vera's good. <laughs> Took me a while to come around on him, but I did. Looked good last night. Um, I think we need to cut Ronda Marcos. I just, I don't get what it is with her. Eh, I mean, this is just kind of the fighter she is at this point, I think. I mean... If the UFC does cut her, I can understand the reasoning. I mean, if you're going to cut Elias Theodoro, I feel like you should cut Ronda Marcos. I, I think the only thing kind of helping Randa's case argument in that case is the strength of the division. Because, you know... The lack of... Middleweight, solid division. Women's strawweight uh, still could benefit from just having the extra bodies. Who have won? Who have won fights in the UFC? I guess that was not a good fight. I mean, look, the first time she loses two in a row, I think she's gone. Because that was not a good fight no. last night. That was pro, and I like Adelia, but that was probably one of the worst fights of her career. It was one of the least interesting, but I think I mean, if we're talking technically, she looked worse against Nina Ansaroff than she did here. I, I dislike this fight more, though. Oh yeah, and I don't. I don't disagree with that at all. Anyway, that's all I have for prelims. All right. Uh, thanks to everyone who read or followed along, be that live or after the fact. Uh, God bless you guys. You can find what I do a lot of places, and you choose mine. So thank you for that. Always appreciate. Always appreciated. And I hope you'll come back in the future. Uh, all right. Next up. 
the UFC will be back in Sacramento, the capital city of California, for UFC on ESPN Plus 13. Yeah, this is not a really good card. <laughs> um, this is one of the weakest main events ever. Uh, Jermaine Durandamy versus Aspen Ladd. Now, let me be clear about this when I say it's a weak main event. I don't hate the fight. That's a perfectly acceptable fight for all parties. That is going to pose interesting questions of both fighters, make sense for both fighters. It just doesn't really make sense as a main event. Uh, I mean, Jermaine Durandamy, on a technically on a really good winning streak, four fights in a row. Her only loss in the UFC is to Amanda Nunes. Uh, you know, decorated uh, Muay Thai competitor. Uh, and Aspen Ladd is one of the few kind of rising prospects slash near contenders in the division. Ladd is young. She's only 24 years old. She's undefeated. 3-0 and in the UFC. Two of those are finishes. And she put a pretty good beating on Sajara Eubanks. And this is Lad's first. This is Lad's first appearance on the main card of any event she's been a part of. She's been on the prelims for every other, uh, you know, UFC card she's been on. But now, hey, main event. Um. This is actually kind of a tough fight to predict when you get when you kind of put aside the, you know, quasi silliness of it being a main event. This is a this is a step up in competition for Lad. And it's a tough style for her because Jermaine Durandamy has really good kicks and a really good knee game from the clinch. And is an appropriately dirty fighter. She'll do whatever the ref will let her get away with. Um, so it's kind of a tough one to call in that respect. I'm going to be cautiously optimistic about Ladd and lean towards her in this fight. But, uh, again, this is a, this is a pretty significant step up for her. And if she's just not ready for it quite yet at only eight, no, and 24, then fair enough. That ha that's happened to the majority of fighters who take that kind of step. They, it winds up being a learning experience and they, you know, hopefully come back stronger. So I'm going to lean towards lad, but, uh, just a little bit, uh, Jeff, do you have any interest in this fight and who do you think is going to win? <laughs> Aspen lad, no interest in this fight. All right. Your co-main event returning from retirement because LOL MMA retirements, Uriah Faber, the California middle-aged man will be fighting Ricky Simone. Um, I don't know why this wasn't the main event. I mean, Faber's clearly here just for marquee name value in the market, in the, you know, the local well, market. Well, Faber's coming out of retirement and they probably don't want to put him in a five round fight. Yeah, could be. And he's fighting Ricky Simon. Also true. I'm just saying, Faber's there to sell tickets, and 
I don't know. It, it just seems odd that they wouldn't just go whole hog with that just, kind of thing. I don't get why Faber is coming out of retirement for a fight with Ricky Simon. Makes no sense to me either, but... I mean, like, he didn't get... It was TJ Dillashaw in a grudge match. I'm like, okay, I get it. That makes sure. sense. I mean, he engaged in a uh, grappling match at... Was it Quint- uh, the last Polaris event, I think, with... Um, with <laughs> Uh, Nikki Gordon and just See, got I mean, schooled. Faber's retirement was good. You know, he, I felt like he retired at the right time. And I just don't get why he's coming back and I don't understand what this is. He's, yeah. Now he's 40. Yep. Like, I'm not saying it's impossible and it's not unprecedented, but I just, it's, it's leaving me scratching my head. Yeah, I'm with you there a little bit. If he were to come back in Bellator, I would kind of get it. That's well, I mean, every, everyone comes back in Bellator because that's because that's the norm. Because that's the norm for Bellator. Look, look, Bellator is like uh, MMA career purgatory. Your career dies, and it goes to purgatory. Well, it's well, it's adjudicated, and then you wind up going somewhere else. Finally. Um. Yeah, I, I, I get it like they need they need to sell tickets and, and for this event and they didn't really have this event didn't have much else going for it, but I mean Faber I like Faber's forty years old coming out of retirement to fight Ricky Simon. That I would hope they made this worth his while. I would hope. One would hope. Um I feel I don't pick against Uriah Faber very often, unless I'm you know, fairly sure he's going to lose. And Ricky Simone has been out-wrestled. I mean, Marab Duvalish really out-wrestled him, and Marab is not nearly the experienced competitor that Faber is. But Simone has kind of matured a bit since then. He was able to completely shut down Ronnie Yaya, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, Faber's 40, and he hasn't fought since 2016. I'm actually leaning towards Simone here, and I'm prepared to just make let that just be an emotional pick because I'm not a fan of Faber's, but... Ricky Simone's a bit of a savage. Uh, he's, he's a tough guy. He's got good wrestling of his own. He's got power. He's a bit of a wild man. And... It's entirely possible we get he's just not ready for the level of opposition that even 40-year-old Faber represents, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of feeling Ricky Simone here. I'm so, begrudgingly picking Uriah Faber. Well, well, Uriah Faber. That's true. Again, I, I don't pick against him often, and it always feels, and most of the time when I do, it feels weird. Again, with a few exceptions, I, like but my, I do have problems with him, you know, coming out of a, how many, not quite three, almost three-year retirement, two-and-a-half-year retirement, uh, 40, being 40, yeah, we'll see. If this was, if this was someone else, I'd probably pick that fighter, but I feel like, Faber didn't quite get to the depths that BJ Penn was when he retired several times. 
Yeah, there aren't too many fighters that get that That's bad. That's kind of like why I was happy when Faber retired, because I feel like he, he retired not maybe like at the elite level, but a fairly high level. Yeah, and you know, we don't need to see the old guard get brutally knocked out four times in a row before they call it quits. That's just not necessary. Uh, next up, we have Josh Emmett and Mursad Bekdic. Uh Emmett's fallen in love a little bit with his power, and while he's can hit, while he hits really hard, I mean, that's not that's not a knock on him because he again he hits hard. I'm kind of leaning towards Bektich. I've been, I've been a little bit on the Bektich bandwagon. I've kind of hopped off once or twice and kind of like jogged alongside instead of really committing to it. But Bektich is a really tough fighter, good wrestler, savage ground and pound, very competent on the feet. And as long as he doesn't get caught clean with one of the you know power punches of Emmett, I kind of like Bektich. Bektich's chances here. Uh, I think he pushes a high enough pace, and Emmett's had issues with his weight cut before. That's not in the, cutting to featherweight is not easy for him. So a really high-paced fight tends to you know, get to him a little bit, and Bektich pushes a pace, man. So I'm going with Bektich here. I think uh, I I'm hoping this kind of gets to be his coming out party. Because he's a really talented fighter that just is flying a little bit under the radar of everyone. But it's also possible that, you know, he gets a bit sloppy and Emmett cold cocks him. Because that's happened to a lot of the guys Emmett's fought. Uh, you got anything for this one? Nope. Alright, uh, you know what, let's just do quick hits for the rest of these. There's, there's not a lot here. Um, Benil Dariush will fight Drakkar Close. That's a pretty good fight, actually. Um, Dariush coming off the win over Drew Dober. Uh, Drakkar Close is a tough matchup for him in some respects. Uh, Close is a good wrestler, pretty good kicker, and Dariush seems to be slowing down a little bit. Um, hmm. I'm going to pick Dariush, but uh, again, that's a very competitive fight. Carl Robertson will fight Wellington Terman. Who was he supposed to fight originally? Like that? Yeah, he was supposed to fight somebody. I Really, John Phillips? All right. Uh, I got Robertson here. Robertson is a, was a really solid kickboxer. Had some moments of success against... Am I confusing Robertson with someone else? A little bit, but not enough to negate my point. Okay. I know who I'm confusing him with. I'm still going to pick him here. Uh, really solid kickboxer who just has struggled a bit against guys who can really force the grappling. Uh, Marvin Vittori will fight Cesar Fajaya. That's a surprisingly good fight, actually. Um, Fajaya coming off of that loss to Ian Heinish, whereas Vittori coming off of that very close fight with Israel Adesanya. Um, I'm going to go with Vittori there, actually. Uh, Fajaya just really seems to have gas tank issues. At light heavyweight, Mike Rodriguez will fight John Allen. Um, Rodriguez, I believe, has fought in the UFC before. Allen is not. I'll go with Rodriguez. 
Andre Feely will fight Shimon Marais. Um, Shimon lost to Sadiq Youssef. Whereas Feely beat Miles Jury. You know, I'm going to go with Marais. Um, probably a mistake, but I'm going to do it anyway. Juliana Pena returns from her layoff. I believe that was pregnancy-related. To fight Nico Montagna, whose layoff is related to... I don't know. Um, Nico Montagna hasn't been seen since she pulled out of that fight with Shevchenko and the UFC just decided enough. Um, I got Pena here. Um, Nico has some some of the uh, the, the like the bare structure, the you know, the bones of being a really good fighter of her game, but there's not a lot of sophistication there. And Juliana Pena has more experience, more experience at a better level at, as well. And I, I think we'll probably take this. Um, Darren Elkins will fight Ryan Hall. Odd fight. Uh, I kind of like Ryan Hall here. Actually, it's it's a weird thing, but I think Elkins is too physically awkward and while Ryan Hall's not going to, you know, put the kind of physical damage on him that others have. Um I I don't know. I just probably a mistake. He's get you know Hall's probably going to go for an Imanari role, get squashed and pounded on, but eh, I can live with it. I can live with being wrong about this. <laughs> Um, Livia Hanata Souza will fight Brianna Van Buren. Was this supposed to be something else? Yeah, this was supposed to be Cynthia Calvillo and Souza. But Calvillo has a broken foot, pulled out. Um, I might have actually picked Souza over Calvillo. Souza is... Uh, she'll put some damage on you, man. She's <laughs> She's a tough woman. But in the against the short notice replacement, I think she's going to steamroll her. Um, Liu Ping Wan will fight Jonathan Martinez. Going to lean towards Martinez, and then Benito Lopez will fight Vince Morales. The UFC likes Benito Lopez, and I think they're giving him an exciting but favorable matchup here with Morales, who's just kind of a brawler. Uh, all right, that's the rest of that card. Anything stick out to you, Jeff? Let's see here. Darren Elkins versus Ryan Hall might be a fun fight. Uh, Josh Emmett versus um, uh, Mirsad Bektish. You know, you know, I like Mirsad Bektish, right? Yeah. So he's a very underrated talent. So I, I think that could be a decent fight. Those are my main ones. All right, and on July 13th, I will have coverage of that event from start to finish in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so stop by, say hello. Always appreciated. Uh, that said, if you are going to skip this card, uh, feel free to just check out my coverage to get caught up if you don't want to invest all the time. Uh, uh, that's kind of what it's there for. In addition to just being a place to hang out and you know chat about the fights with you know me or other people, I... Uh, uh, again, that's kind of what the comment section is there for. Alrighty, that's it for fight previews. So let's start with the big news of the week. UFC released bantamweight contender John Lineker. Uh, 
I read your take on this, Jeff, and I want to, uh, and I don't, I think you have a very, I think your points are very well made, so I'll let you take lead on this one. What do you think about this? What do you think about, uh, you know, the bantamweight Vanderlei Silva getting the axe? John Lineker? Look, he, he was lucky to still have a job in the UFC after missing weight on five different occasions. Fighters have been cut for less. My understanding he is he requested his release because apparently he has a big family and needs to fight more. He wasn't getting enough fights. <sighs> That's so weird considering he pulled out of like four of his last six scheduled bouts. Um... I mean, that said, if he's just if that's true and he just wants to be more active and the UFC is not. He has five kids, by the way. Look, if the UFC's if right now the atmosphere in the UFC is just not conducive for him to do that. You know what? Godspeed and party on, man. Um, Go, go. Let me look. And we could now get John Lineker versus Kyoji Horiguchi and Ryzen. That would be great. So I, I. I, I I think it was I don't think he's a tremendous loss just because he's had some he's had his moments where he looked like a really good fighter, but I feel like he could never sort of get over that hump into that upper echelon. And I don't know, he just kind of never panned out. I feel he and his management were really obstinate when he constantly missed weight at flyweight and maintain that he was not a bantamweight. And they stopped the rise of a couple of other potential contenders. That kind of made me angry. And then he missed weight twice at bantamweight too. So. Wasn't one of those short notice. Possibly. It was, Oh no, no, it was the card in Belem when like two other fighters had really serious problems with weight because the hotel like ran out of hot water. Yeah. It just kind of made it just. There's a there was a consistent issue with him and and his yeah, and managing I, his I weight. Feel like, to me, this isn't as bad as some of the other guys they've let go, or kind of let leave. I I kind of like I I kind of get this. I think it's just I I mean, and if he asks for his release, I mean, and he wants to go to one or wherever. I say let him go. Yeah, if he really did kind of want out, then you know what? Again, fair play to the UFC for actually letting someone out of their contract when they want it. Uh, good for them. Uh, it sucks because, you know, John Lineker's, uh, he's, when he does get to the cage, he's he's uh, an action fighter. He's always good to watch. But also inconsistent. Well, in terms of results, sure, but in terms of my personal enjoyment of his fights, you know, I, yeah, I don't think there's had, too many. He had some. He had some bangers. He had some barn burners, man. He had some really, really but solid it's, fights. It's like whenever he would go on a run, he would like, okay, he missed weight against Dotson, and then he has like that really close fight with Dotson, and then he yep. loses, you know, or or loses to Dillashaw. And uh, in fairness, T.J. Dillashaw's a great fighter. You know, well, all things aside, but I can't really, if Lineker wanted to leave and I can't really fault the UFC for letting him go. And at the same time, I feel like, I don't feel like we're losing like a, an insane high level contender here. 
Now, you're losing more a consistently entertaining fighter than yeah. a consistently. You're, you're losing a good a guy who's you know good to have on TV, good for the division to have in the division, but that's about it, really. All right, uh, uh, let's. That, as as cruel as that may sound, it's a cruel it's a cruel business, man. It's. It just is. All right. UFC 242 has been fleshed out a little bit. Uh, that uh, We've had the main event for a while. Khabib and Dustin Poirier. Great fight. Uh, I think they confirmed a couple of other fights for this card over the last week. Um, Edson Barboza versus Paul Felder. Uh, that rematch was announced last night on, on the broadcast by Paul Felder, who was on commentary. Uh I'm down. I'm completely down for that rematch. Their first fight was a really good fight. Uh, it makes sense for both guys and Barboza coming off of the loss to Gagey and you know just one and three in his last four fights. I mean, again, level of opposition matters. It, he lost to Khabib, Kevin Lee, and Gagey. But, you know, wins matter too. So And Felder coming off of the Vic win. Uh, it's a good fight. It's a good... Uh, that might even be your co-main event depending on how a few things shake out. So that's good. Um, I think they confirmed Merbeck Tysimov and Carlos Diego Fajaya for that card, which is a really good fight. So 242, kind of coming along. It uh, Oh, they confirmed Andrea Lee versus Joanne Calderwood for that fight, for that event, uh, which is a good fight. Both kind of stand-up fighters, both long, both a little bit longer, both strikers primarily. So that's a really good fight. Uh, yeah, 242. Pretty solid card, actually. Uh, surprisingly so for an overseas pay-per-view. They uh, they don't always pull out the stops for that one, especially since this one is going to air in prime time in Abu Dhabi rather than prime time here in the United States. So, uh, solid card coming together. Uh, Barboza versus Felder. Yep. I again, I liked their first fight. Enjoying, uh, enjoying some of the, <laughs> enjoying the potential for that one Interesting. being Interesting. run back. All right, speaking of the UFC schedule, the UFC did announce some few other things over the last week. Uh, a few of these are going to be short. Um, the UFC's uh, pay-per-view in Uruguay got a co-main event. The main event for that card is uh, Shevchenko and Karmouche. Uh The co-main event's going to be Vicente Luque and Mike Perry, which is a good co-main event. Uh, Luque is, I think, number 14 or 15 in the division and will provide Perry the kind of fight that you know, Mike Perry can kind of excel in from a visual perspective. So solid enough top two fights. Uh, the UFC announced the venue for their event in Melbourne. Uh, apparently, it will be at the Docklands Stadium. That will be the he- card headlined by Whitaker and Adesanya. Uh, they'll be in San Francisco on October 12th at the Chase Center. They're returning to Singapore at the end of October. Uh, there's you know, The Russian card is still a lot of TBA. They're back in uh, Madison Square Garden for UFC 244. And their last card of the year, apparently, is going to be from uh, Sajik Arena in Busan, South Korea. So that will be December 21st. Uh, 
I think that's the first time they've had their last event of the year overseas, but, uh, you know, the UFC's been to South Korea, I think, once or twice, so, or is this their first time? This might, that might be their debut in South Korea. Hang on, I have to confirm this. No, they did one other one. They were in Seoul back in 2015. So first time in like four years that they've been in uh, South Korea. So uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, again, no fights announced necessarily for anything that far out yet, but we got the schedule filled out a little bit, which is good. It was looking a little bit thin <laughs> in some areas. Uh, the fact that the Russia card, which is now was scheduled for October at some point, is now scheduled for November 9th and still does not have a venue and moved from Sochi to Moscow. Uh, they got to get that sorted out if they're actually going to pull the trigger on that. But, you know, good to see the uh, that kind of, you know, fleshed out a little bit. So, uh, decent enough schedule going forward for the rest of the year. All right. Okay. I think that's everything I had. So, Jeff, any other major news items you want to touch on? What about Tom Cruise and Justin Bieber? No. Okay. Nate Diaz and Habib almost had a brawl last night. Eh. Nate Diaz is still, you know, getting Nate Diaz. Yeah, those two have had a couple of different shouting matches. It's hard to believe Diaz is going to fight again. Look, I'll believe it when he gets in the cage. Uh, uh, so Covington versus Lawler is official for the ESPN 5 card. Uh, Clay Guida versus Jim Miller. I think we knew about that one, right? Right. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the rest of that. About so, has that card changed at all? I don't think so. Is it crazy that I like Covington for that fight right now? No, I think you and I both said we were kind of leaning towards him a little bit. Oh, that, oh this this story is is a little old. Um, I think that's all the big all the major items. Alrighty then, let's go ahead and hop on to plugs then, because you and I both have stuff that we do apart from this. So, what's up, Jeff? What do you got to plug? I think of Far From Home. Haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, I will say this, though. If what I, I... I've had one of the... I believe I had the mid credit scene spoiled for me. Yeah. Uh, and I won't say any more than that. I will put up with a lot of crap just to see that moment. Okay, if I know what you're, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So my review of Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, yesterday, check out those reviews. Uh, uh, da, da, da. Check out my video game previews from E3. Have Comic Con coming up. Hopefully, going to get some coverage done from there in the coming weeks. So, uh, man, that's just right around the corner. Um, 
And we have a new Akira anime, like an actual Akira anime coming uh, from Katsuhiro Otomo, the original creator of the manga and the director of the film. So this is separate from the live action film uh, that they're doing right now. So I'm kind of hyped for that, that, actually. I wrote about that uh, from the Anime Expo over the weekend. So I'm kind of excited about these um, because I feel there's a lot of material there they can cover there. And I assume that's what's going to be. It's going to be sort of like a, a readaptation of the manga storyline, my understanding. Well, I, I think I heard this put the best way, and I can't remember who said this, so I apologize. Yeah. You almost have to look at the movie as kind of its own thing because it was done when there was still so much more that would come later in the manga. And the movie is, you know, brilliant and a seminal work and changed so many people's perspective on what was possible with animation and what kind of audiences you the could reach for it. Like, uh, the movie was sort of... Eh. It, it, uh, how do I put this? Sort of like a rough cliff notes kind of thing. They kind of... Yeah. It, it, it is very... Well, it is somewhat the same story. It's also because of... Some of it's the medium. Some of it was where the overall story would go later after the movie was right. made. Story... I mean, the, the actual serialized story wasn't complete yet. So, yeah, in some respects, you do have to kind of consider it as its own kind of separate variation of that story. So I'm excited to see them go- to see them do the whole thing justice in a different in a slightly different format. What, I hope that's what they do. All they said is that it's a new adaptation. There's more story in the manga they could explore. And a lot is a lot because the movie really barely even scratched the surface. Well, the movie only does the first, I think, handful of volumes. R- right. Like that's and all that was all, that's all that was done. Like the, I think one of the most iconic moments from the actual manga hadn't even been written before well, when they Akira made the movie. Not, you don't even see, really see Akira in the movie. Akira is a, in, in the manga. He's an actual character. Yeah. He's a living, breathing, talking person. Well, and not to, again, not to spoil a decades old property, but what, there's mean, that, there's that scene when yeah. in the manga, when the, like, it's a beautifully constructed shot too. That's just like a full two page landscape as as a giant as a giant explosion rocks tokyo again right uh which is again a beautifully composed and beautifully drawn scene that again just hadn't actually happened when the movie was made so there's a lot of material they can work with so i wrote a little bit about that from the anime expo so in whatever otomo is doing i'm definitely interested in seeing what he puts together his also his next film orbital era which sounds very exciting dude's still a workhorse still at 65 so hats off to the man so that's about it though for plugs for me all right as for myself again you can find my full report for ufc 239 in the mma zone of 411 mania and this coming saturday ufc on espn plus 13 in that same zone uh, however you happen to be listening to us, please engage with the content a little bit on the website, be that a like, a comment, a review of some variation. Everybody asks for five stars. Don't give me five stars. I don't deserve five stars. Give me what you think I deserve. But interact with it a little bit wherever you happen to engage with it, please. That would be much appreciated. It helps the algorithm, and the algorithm will soon control the world, so we must appease it. Uh, Tuesday, I will have a re- uh, on Damn You Hollywood, Mark Radlich, Alexis Haina, and myself will be reviewing 
Spider-Man Far From Home. I haven't seen it yet, but I will before I review it, obviously, or I'll, that just defeats the purpose. Uh, the week after that, I believe we're reviewing Crawl, which will be interesting. Uh, it, it looks stupid, but it looks my kind, like my kind of stupid, so I'm down. And then next week, we'll be back here. We'll have a full review of UFC on ESPN Plus 13, as well as a preview for UFC on ESPN 4. The UFC will be in, where are they, San Antonio for that. Uh, main event of Rafael Dos Anjos and Leon Edwards. couple of heavyweight fights, because God hates me. Uh, James Vick and Dan Hooker is actually a pretty good fight. Oh, geez, there's three heavyweight fights on that card. That's just wrong. That should not be allowed by law. The laws of man or God. Just not a good thing. All right, we will see you all back here next week then. Until then, thank you again on behalf of Jeff. I am Robert. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.